So as I look out, I see a mixture of uh, ages, but I see enough gray hairs and bald heads uh, that you might be able to uh, identify with um, one of my favorite pop songs that won a Grammy in 1985. Can't believe that was 37 years ago. Anyway, that year, the catchy turn rose to number one on the Billboard charts. In the hit song, Tina Turner posed the question, what's love got to do with it? The song goes on to ask derisively, what's love but a secondhand emotion? And who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Well, almost 2,000 years earlier, Jesus answered the song's sarcastic lyrics by declaring, love has everything to do with it. Our Savior also taught us that love is much more than just an emotion, and a broken heart is far better than no heart at all. In fact, Jesus' encounter with a scribe recorded in Mark 12 teaches us that God's highest priority for our lives is love. From our passage this morning, we will see first, Jesus declares our highest priority should be to love God. And second, Jesus declares our next highest priority should be to love others. But third, only Jesus delivers our highest power so that we can love in both of these ways. First then, Jesus declares that our highest priority should be to love God. The scribe was an expert Old Testament Bible scholar. Now the Old Testament includes a total of 613 commandments. So this Bible expert understandably asked Jesus in verse 29, which commandment is the most important of all? Our Savior answered in verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Of course, if you think about it, loving God more than anything else surely is the most important thing humans can do in their lives. And to make the case for loving God as our highest priority, in verse 29, Jesus quotes the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For these words remind God's covenant people back in that day as well as in our day that the Lord is the one and only living God of the universe. He alone created the heavens, the earth, and all that is in them, including you and me. He alone upholds us by granting our next breath and giving us our daily bread. He alone is, as his unique covenant name, the Lord, reminds us. 
makes a solemn promise of grace to his people, forgiving our innumerable sins and adopting us as his dearly loved children. But friends, like ancient Israel, we live in a world full of false gods. Money, career, relationships, sex, health, politics, power, but to name a few. Sadly, these deceitful idols are worshiped by many today. But as his created, nourished, and beloved children, it is only right for us to love the one true God by honoring him as our maker, sustainer, and redeemer. Yet how are we to love God? Verse 30, Jesus continued by quoting the very next words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, found in verse 5. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, in Jewish culture, the heart is the location of our mind, will, and emotions. The soul refers to our life. The mind deals with our thoughts, and strength points to our energies and abilities. Taken together, these four components of our personhood are the sum total of our entire being. The repetition of the word all four times in front of all four components of our nature emphasize the totality of our love that God not only deserves but demands. In other words, Jesus was saying, the way we should love God is by delighting in him with everything we are, have, and ever hope to be. Many years ago, I was vacationing with relatives. One of my uncles was there with his family, including his cute little four-year-old son. My aunt and uncle first took this young boy into their home as a foster child who had been sadly neglected by his biological parents. But my aunt and uncle gave that toddler a clean bed to sleep in, good food to fill his tummy, and nice clothes to wear. Just as important, my uncle showered the boy with love and affirmation, eventually even adopting him as his very own son. But one scene from that vacation sticks in my memory above all others. And it happened when my uncle called out his newly adopted son's name. Andrew, he cried. And seemingly out of nowhere, little Andrew came running as fast as he possibly could and barreled right into his father's side. What a picture it was and still is of a wholeheartedly, totally devoted, completely unabashed love. You can imagine 
how deeply pleasing his adopted little son's love was to my uncle, his father. Isn't this just the kind of passionate, all-out devotion we should have to delight in our heavenly father? So I must ask you, my dear friends, how's your love life with God these days? When's the last time you ran as fast as you possibly could to meet your heavenly father in your morning devotions? Listened intently for his beautiful voice as you devoured his life-giving word. Poured out your heart in passionate prayer to the one who poured out his blood for you. Spontaneously sang out a love song to the God of your eternal salvation. Or gave eagerly and generously to proclaim the glory of Abba's love, grace, peace, hope, and joy that satisfies our soul's deepest longings. And this brings us to our second point. Jesus declares that our second highest priority should be to love others. In verse 31, our Savior continued his answer to the scribe's question by saying, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Here, Jesus was again quoting the Old Testament, this time from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But I should add, where the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day understood neighbor as referring only to their fellow Jews, Jesus meant neighbor to include anyone who has been providentially placed in our path for sympathy or help, as one Bible commentator aptly put it. For this was clearly our Savior's meaning in telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, wasn't it? Indeed, for Jesus, neighbor included enemies whom he also commanded us to love. Now, if that doesn't drive us to our knees, I don't know what will. But curiously, Jesus' answer to the scribe included this second greatest commandment, even though the scribe asked Jesus to name just the greatest commandment. This begs the question, why did Jesus include the next most important commandment? When, as you will note in verse 31, he was only asked to identify the one most important commandment. The answer is that we cannot love God rightly unless we also love our neighbor rightly because our neighbor is made in the image of God. And if we fail to love God's image bearer, we also fail to love God. This means that one of the chief ways for us to love God is to love other people whom God made in his likeness. And a chief way for us to love our neighbors is by honoring them who, like ourselves, have been made in the likeness of God. 
I might add, by way of the parallels of, 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 ten, of the Ten Commandments that God gave us and his people Israel after he rescued them from their bondage in Egypt and made a covenant with them in Mount Sinai. For the Ten Commandments also consist of two parts that depend on each other. The first through the fourth commandments tell us how to love God, while the fifth through the tenth commandments tell us how to love people. But if the Israelites failed to love people by not keeping commandments five through ten, they also failed to love God. Yet in what way are we to love others? Jesus said the second most important commandment instructs us to love them by serving them as we would be served. Jesus states, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, for selfish, self-centered people like me, this is really hard to do. Because my strong, natural tendency is to think more about myself than I think about other people, to care more about my needs and wants and wishes than I care about my neighbor's needs, wants, and wishes. Yet our Savior tells us that when he brings someone across our path, we should immediately put ourselves in that person's shoes and ask ourselves, if I was this person, how would I want someone to love me. Now, friends, there is not one easy answer to know how we can best love a person. In fact, this can be a very complex question that may require much thought, research, and prayer for God's wisdom because every person is different with their own unique life circumstances, sin patterns, and needs. So while it may be very loving to give money to one beggar who intends to use it to feed his hungry stomach, it may not be very loving at all to give money to another beggar who intends to use it to feed his drug addiction. Nevertheless, we are not excused from loving a stranger, a friend, a family member, a brother or sister in Christ, or anyone else because it's difficult. No, Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love everyone as we love ourselves. Patrick Hutchinson is a black man who also happens to be a personal trainer and grandfather. In June of 2018, Mr. Hutchinson went to a Black Lives Matters rally. In his words, he went to, quote, stop young guys from getting into trouble. But a group of white counter-protesters also went to that rally. And while the white protesters clashed with the black protesters, a violent brawl broke out. When the fighting eventually subsided, a lone white protester was left surrounded by an angry mob of black protesters. Soon, the white man was pummeled to the ground. At that moment, Patrick Hutchinson arrived 
on the scene. Seeing the helpless white man, the muscular black personal trainer thought to himself, if that man stays here, he's not going to make it. So Mr. Hutchinson pushed his way to the fallen white protester, scooped him up in his strong black arms, put the injured man over his shoulders, and started marching him to a nearby group of policemen. Still, as he carried the white man away, Mr. Hutchinson felt protesters continuing to punch and hit the fallen counter-protester. But Mr. Hutchinson's only thought at that time was getting the injured man to safety. In his words, I was just thinking of a human being on the ground. It was not going to end well if someone didn't intervene. Well, as that brawny black man was carrying the injured white man to safety, a news photographer saw the two and snapped their poignant photo. The picture of one man carrying a different colored man out of harm's way went viral on social media. One journalist wrote, tweeting the, uh, the, the photograph, amidst all the ugliness, a beautiful moment of humanity. But I would correct those words. Because the problem with humanity is we're not that beautiful. <laughs> um, as the scriptures tell us, and we know in our hearts we're all full of uh, sin. Sadly, racism is just as much a part of humanity as heroism is. So a better description of Mr. Hutchinson's rescuing act would be, amidst all of the hatred, a beautiful moment of love. As the black hero later related, I just want equality. Equality for all of us. I just want things to be fair for my children and my grandchildren. My friends, Patrick Hutchinson's rescue of a protester who opposed his people is a wonderful example of, of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So how about you and me this morning? How are we doing at loving our neighbor as ourselves? I don't know if you've noticed it, but our country is embroiled in a lot of racial and political tensions these days. And there's been much unfairness and inequality throughout our sin-sick world for a very long time. Today our nation is deeply divided and filled with hatred and animosity along racial and political lines, other lines as well. And of course, we cannot heal every division or right all the wrongs on our own. Nor can we rid our nation of all the anger and hostility. But of all the people on this planet, in this nation, it's the followers of Jesus who should be the ones leading the way. Several years ago, I received an email about a webinar entitled Racial Brokenness in America and Our Gospel Response, a time to listen, 
black voices speak. Given the tensions of race in our country, I thought it would be good for me to join the webinar. To be honest, I didn't agree with everything spoken by my black brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be fair, if this white guy had spoken, they most likely wouldn't have agreed with everything that I would say. But Jesus says, we are to love as he loves. We must put our ourselves in the other person's shoes. So love begins with listening to different points of view and seeking to learn how my neighbor's journey is different from mine. Then we need to lament our neighbor's suffering and lend my hand to help him in hardship. Again, this is not easy to do because it requires dying to myself and denying my wants is painful. Still, our Savior insists that unless I deny myself and take up my cross daily, I cannot be his disciple. So the next time you or I come across someone different from us, racially, politically, religiously, or in any other way, may God help us to do five things. First, remember, this person is God's image bearer. Second, admit that we don't know the pain and suffering our neighbor has endured in his or her unique journey. Third, realize this person desperately needs God's mercy just as much as I do. Fourth, ask God to show us how best to reflect his love to our neighbor. And fifth, be gracious to this person just as God has been gracious to us. My guess is that if the followers of Jesus practiced these five simple steps of love, there would be a lot fewer ungracious words posted on social media, a lot more civility in public discourse, and God might just use us to open the eyes of our unbelieving lost neighbors to see the difference that faith in an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving Savior makes. And this brings us to our third and last point, which is Jesus delivers our highest power so that we can love in both these ways. In response to our Savior's declaration, of God's two most important commandments, the questioning scribe surprisingly praises Jesus. That's a real rarity for most encounters that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. In verse 32 and 33, we read, and the scribe said to Jesus, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that God is one and there is no other besides him. And to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all 
whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Then Jesus' response to the scribe is likewise surprising. For we read in verse 34, he says, And when Jesus saw that the scribe answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one asked Jesus any more questions. But what did Jesus mean by telling the scribe, You are not far from the kingdom of God? It's, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, isn't it? On the one hand, Jesus was encouraging the scribe that he was on the right track. But on the other hand, our Savior was also warning the scribe that he had not yet reached the right destination. First, let's look at Jesus' words as an encouragement. Verse 34 tells us that Jesus saw the scribe answered wisely. That is to say, the scribe correctly understood that God's highest priority for our lives is love. If we want to enjoy a right relationship with our maker, then knowing God's commandments is important so that we know the standards he expects us to live by. Prioritizing love as our highest calling does bring us closer to God because, as we've just read, God is love. But second... See how Jesus' words were also a warning. By telling the scribe in verse 34 that he was not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus was using a kind way to tell this man who surely thought he was a citizen of God's kingdom that in truth, even though he was a Bible expert, he was actually still an outsider to God. Dear friends, let's be honest with ourselves. Have any of us ever loved the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength for even one single day? And have you and I ever loved our neighbors exactly as we love ourselves? I have not, and unfortunately, I'm reasonably confident none of you have either. No, there's only one person in all of human history who has perfectly loved God and neighbor all the days of his life, and he is the very one to whom the scribe was speaking to right in front of him. By telling the scribe he was not far from God's kingdom, Jesus was helping him to understand that he fell short of keeping God's two most important commands and that just like all of us, he desperately needed a Savior who, as I said, was standing right in front of him. In other words, knowing God's commandments is important, but knowing Jesus the only one in all human history who perfectly kept all 613 commandments, that's essential. You see, knowing Jesus is essential both for entering God's kingdom and for obeying God's two greatest commandments. In, in uh, John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, 
the one whose favorite identity was the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote to the church Jesus loves the following words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Beloved of God at Bethel Baptist Church, the only way you and I can ever be freed from our bondage to self so that we can grow in loving God and our fellow man is by believing deep down in our hearts the radical, ravishing, relentless, reconciling, redemptive love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Over and over again, we need to read, study, meditate, and sing about God's astonishing, compassionate care for needy sinners like me and you that drove Jesus to the horrors of the cross. As we do this more and more, we will be changed by his unfathomably sacrificial love for us. And though we will never love God or neighbor perfectly this side of heaven, we will grow in the life of his love. October 2017, the first was a Sunday. Evil struck the city of Las Vegas as 60 people died and over 400 were wounded in a hail of a thousand bullets that rained down on a music festival crowd. Among that crowd was 21-year-old Taylor Binge and his sister Kareem. When the shots began to ring out, the two siblings started running from their location near the high-rise hotel where the shower of bullets was descending upon them. Every time another round was fired, Taylor and Kareem took cover. But at one point, when the volley of shots became particularly intense, Sister Kareem threw herself on top of her brother Taylor. And as Kareem shielded Taylor from becoming the victim of evil with her own body, she kept repeating over and over to her brother, I love you, Taylor. I love you. Thankfully, both Kareem and Taylor survived the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history without either of them being hit by a single bullet. But Taylor Binge has Changed, has been changed forever. As he later explained on national television, 
I was an agnostic going into that concert. But I'm a firm believer in God now. Dear friends, as wonderful as Kareem's sacrificial love for her brother is, Romans 5 verses 7 to 11 explain how God's sacrificial love for us in Christ is far more wonderful. We read, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, our sweet Savior used his own body to shield us from evil. Yet that evil was not outside of us. No, as his enemies, that evil was inside us. And while we're thankful that Kareem never shed her blood, Jesus had to shed his blood in an unimaginably painful way, nailed to a Roman cross for you and for me. But why? Because Jesus' love for you, my friend, is unfathomably deeper than Kareem's love for her brother. Through the cross, Jesus speaks over you. I love you. I love you. For in that heartfelt sacrifice, God cried out his love for you louder and clearer than any spoken words ever could. Yet the sad truth is, we all doubt God's love for us, don't we? And we especially doubt his love for us when we sin. That's why Dane Ortland's wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, is so helpful. For Ortland writes these words. When you sin, do a thorough job of repenting. Rehate sin all over again. Consecrate yourself afresh to the Holy Spirit and his pure ways. Here's the important part. But reject the devil's whisper that God's tender heart for you has grown a little colder and a little stiffer. He is not flustered by your sinfulness. His deepest disappointment is with your tepid thoughts of his heart. Christ died displaying before you the love of God. You see, it's only by believing and meditating upon the great loving heart of God that our not-so-great 
loving hearts will grow in living out his two commandments. So at the beginning of every new day, right at the top of your to-do list, the two most important thing God wants you to do each day. Number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. But always remember, you can't do either of these things unless you first believe God's great-hearted love for you in Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you that every day we fail to love you and to love our neighbor as we ought. But we bless your holy name for loving us so perfectly and wonderfully by sending your son to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to reconcile us to yourself by your precious blood that Jesus spilt on Calvary's cross. Oh Lord, please melt our cold hearts with your forgiving love and by the power of your loving spirit, grant that we may grow day by day in making love the highest priority in our lives. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.